and I was constantly told you'll never get a job in the creative industry and now I tell students you need to ask that person how they know that call them out on that because the people that say it don't probably don't know anybody that's ever been for any creative job people just get used to talking the same language and I was surrounded by that all of the time where are the answers I see where are the hopes I need answer this for me help me Welcome back, Dragons. Or if this is your first time with us, welcome. I want to say thank you so much for being here with us today. You know, time's truly the most precious resource any of us have, and the fact you've chosen to spend some of yours with us is really humbling, so thank you. I'm excited to share today's episode with you. I know you're probably saying, Elliot, you're always excited about the upcoming episodes. Well, that's true. Today, however, I get to share a conversation with you from the amazing and the amazingly talented Emma Isaacs. And there's so much I could say to introduce her. I mean, she's a designer. Uh, You might not know her, but you probably know her work. Uh, She's designed for brands such as Disney, Hallmark, Hobby Lobby, just to name a few. She's passionate about art and teaches in schools because she knows how important it is for us to develop young minds in creative ways. Oh, and speaking of creative ways, that's the name of her podcast, Creative Ways Podcast. Yeah, she's also a podcast host and the creator of the Creative Ways Podcast, which she started back in March of this year. And yet, that's not how I would introduce her because she is like us, so much more than what she does for a living or how we advertise ourselves in this world where attention is the asset that everyone chases. So today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Emma Isaacs. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Elliot. I've been so excited to come on. Well, I've been excited to have you on. I told the audience a little bit about you in the intro. Just to recap, I think, you know, we met a couple years ago at Dreamtopia over in L.A., right? You know, and I should ask about that because that's quite a trip for you. I mean, like you have to go across the pond, as they call it, right? So what uh, let me just start there at the moment before we, we go any further. How did you pull the trigger to do something like that because that's going across continents and so forth i'll be honest it caused a lot of upset at home i had a real call yeah because look at it so my my mom obviously what's a podcast are you joining a cult (laughs) (laughs) my my son was only two years old i was still like i just finished breastfeeding and i had a a five-year-old and my husband quite rightly he's a gardener February is not an affluent time for us because it's the winter. And for me to say, so I'd won a trip. I'd won the flight. I was one of the lucky winners to win the flight to Dreamtopia. However, I still had to find accommodation. I had to find spending money. And I had two children. And I know it's old-fashioned, but, you know what, mum's going across to America. You've never been to America on your own. And, and And to stay with who? A stranger, because I'd contacted two of the other winners and we got an Airbnb together. And, and then you're telling your family, no, I'm part of this community that I listen to all the time on my runs and when I'm working. And it must have sounded crazy to everybody else. But you just have the, I just have that feeling. And when I'm in on something, I'm fully there. And I just, I knew I was emerging into something and, and it was part of that process for me. 
I knew I was, I had to go, I had to be there no matter what. And like I say, I fell out with my husband and my mum about it. Not awfully, like, they, they wished me well, but they just couldn't understand. And I just said, I have to go and I'm going to make this trip count. Um, and, you, and I don't know, if, I think everybody's had that feeling with something, haven't they, where you can't explain it. And yeah, it was life-changing, really was. And I did make it all count. And I met like-minded people. I think that's what it is. It's the power of being with like-minded people. And we're seekers, aren't we? And I'd met all these other people that were just like me, but had so much to give. We weren't the same. And yeah, it was a really important trip for me. I really do believe that at a very deep level, we all crave connection. Now, granted, we don't crave connection in the same way, necessarily. Um, I talked about this with Eric Schulte um, on a couple episodes previous. You know, some of us are more extroverted, some of us are more introverted, and we need connections in different ways. Some of us need more connection time, some of us need less. Uh, but ultimately, isn't that, isn't that really what we're trying to do is, is connect with each other? And so I think uh, I've, I've been a part of, of things like this just a couple times. Camp Copperhead, you heard me talk about that before. Bunch of like-minded people like going to the mountain for the artists mm -hmm. is the way I I'd look at it uh, and then dreamtopia was very similar because it brought a lot of people together um, that were trying to, to do similar things and that's I think one of the magical pieces of it and I'm so glad we got to meet you know the funny thing is is I didn't meet you till the, the last day yeah Right. You know, I mean, afterwards, some of us got together and all went out and I made great friendships in that bar. Absolutely. Because we have another mutual friend, um, Nicole Riviera, and she couldn't make the bar after the meetup after or Kim because they had to catch a flight home. I just thought, I've come this way. I have to chat to these people and give my cards out. And when you got on stage and you said you'd driven from Alabama, I was just like, he is my type of person. <laughs> He's a seeker. <laughs> Crazy as I am. Yeah, that's... Yeah, absolutely. As the audience probably knows by now, you're not from America, right? You're from the UK. Are, are you born and bred UK? Yeah, my mum's family are Irish. Um, so Derry in my family are from in Ireland. And they came over as in the 70s and they went to Yorkshire and Bradford. And so, yeah, I have a strong Irish pull. But yeah. I'm I now live in the Midlands in, in Nottingham, so Robin Hood. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. so, uh, so are you familiar with Clifton Manor? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's not. Uh, so Clifton Manor apparently is uh, not far from Nottingham, and it was actually owned by the Clifton clan. Uh, all. Oh, yes, I am. Sorry. Yes, I am. Cool. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't find out much about it until this year because I was looking into the history of the name Clifton, and apparently uh, it, it kind of originates from over in that area. So anyway, but just a, a fun little trivia piece. That's all. I am good. I drive past there all the time. I'm going to have made the kit. I'm going to take your photograph for you and there's, it's an actually there's a, it, there's lots of old castles in nottingham so i bet the front of it's a castle i'll, I'll send you a photograph <laughs> elliot do it, do it supposedly it's haunted but you know that's a topic for another time uh nonetheless so um all right so you've been in the uk your your entire life what was it like growing up uh there i'm always <laughs> fascinated with other countries you know because there's just there's some similarities obviously but there's also some differences in, in how that happens so what was uh, growing up like so really happy um we didn't have much money but my mum and dad i'm adopted actually 
So I felt very fortunate and special. My mum and dad had worked really hard. She, they always said, you were chosen. But, you know, they made me feel really special. And then we, my brother came along. He's five years younger. He's adopted too. And we had a really, really special life. But because of that, my mum didn't work. So I felt really lucky in time and nurtured all of the time. And we went, we went camping a lot. We were in the outdoors all the time. My dad worked really hard. But then he did lose his job when I was 13. And so we had about four years of hardship. He fought really, really well to get, keep the house. But it was a job that he didn't want to do. My dad was very, he was a carpenter really, he should have been a carpenter and he ended up being a buyer. And so I think that was an important lesson to me. You can fail doing something, not that he failed, but he didn't want to do anyway. And all of his other time was always making things. He was so talented. He made all the cabinets in our kitchen and that was his passion. And I think without me realising, it was like, oh, I need to, I need to make sure I do that. My mum was really good at with children. She would have made a great nanny or childminder, but she didn't have the confidence to do it. They, they didn't have much confidence and they put it all in me and my brother. I'm so thankful of that. And they always, they said we could do whatever we wanted. They never said go to university or college. It was just be happy. And I will always be thankful for that freedom. So even when we didn't have much money, the other lesson in life that I'm so thankful for is my dad still dressed up in his suit, went down to the library back then, and he wrote for CVs. And he took a job as a caretaker in a local school because he wanted a purpose. And he wanted to show us all that you keep trying, you keep trying. And I'll always be grateful. They weren't proud. We, we, we went to church and they would have help off the rest of the church not in that way but they taught me some really important values so yeah I'm so grateful to them for a lot of things sounds like you had a pretty good childhood experience Absolutely. all things considered now uh, I, I didn't know you were adopted and, and uh, I don't don't want to make that a, a real focus point but I am I am curious what kind of challenges did that bring up for you as you were getting older were, were you interested in trying to find the uh, I don't know I can't remember the correct term right now but I mean were you interested in finding your quote-unquote birth parents and that kind of thing or did that cause any challenge for you I think I went into this thing of because I was so lucky to have such a great family, I became very, it was a hidden secret that I wanted to. I wouldn't want my mum and dad to know that I wanted to. It kept coming up, but I would tell my friends, but not them. So it almost came a little bit of a secret because I, I didn't want to hurt them. And apparently that's really common with females. The males seek, so my brother, as soon as he was 18, he went looking. And then just before my dad died, it, it was such an important conversation. When I was 21 with university, we went away on a trip and we, he, we came back and he picked me up from the airport. And this conversation, he said, do you ever fancy finding your, you know, real family? And I said, oh, no, no. Because I go into this like, no, no, not at all. And I had already looked on the internet at surnames because it wasn't a secret. They told me bits and bobs sometimes. There was a time when I was a teenager and I said, I'd like to know if there's any for health reasons. So they went and found, you know, there wasn't any, and they told me what they knew. So I knew that it was a woman who didn't want to give me up, but she didn't love my dad enough and they were Irish and Catholic. So I knew bits, but he said to me in this car journey, if it was me, I'd always want, I'd want to know. And so I was forever grateful. So when he did die, I didn't ever feel guilty. I knew that he'd want to know. 
Um, and apparently it's really common for a female, it's either when one of the parents dies or when you're ready to start a family and me and my husband ready to start a family. So it was kind of both boxes. I was changing. Um, so, yeah, when I turned 30, I went looking and there were lovely people. I have a, a new... So basically in this car journey, my dad also told me I already knew that she'd given up two for adoption. Um, my brother, who's five years older, and he had a wonderful family too. And there's so many cinema similarities, Elliot. His parents, his adopted parents, got married on the same day as my adopted parents. He lives in Bradford where I work. My real mum and dad are from the very town where I worked and lived in Leeds up north, which I never heard of. I went there through work. And you hear of this in films and stories, don't you? Synchronicities. Um, he worked for a paper company for Hallmark, which was where I worked. So there were so many similarities. He has an adopted sister called Emma. Really? So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, and it's, it's just lovely, lovely people. And I'm so great. I'm so pleased that I found these people. I've never met my birth mum or my birth father. We just went through letters. And I, because it was too much, it was so overwhelming. My birth brother, he'd done all the work. So they were instantly all accessible. And I couldn't cope with that. I think in my head, it was going to be a long journey. So to have them all there made me wobble a bit. But yeah, they were lovely. But um, yeah, so many. It's interesting because I think this poor woman, I really pitied her when I found out about her. And um, I think she had ADHD, mm. definitely, and dyslexia. And so, so many things have come up with me. And I thought, I can see things like that weren't a thing back then and yeah interesting really interesting so now are those traits that you struggle with as well yes which i only found out so i went to university always been creative luckily my parents put that into me my grandma was used to make everything and she'd teach me so i had this outlet that i could put everything into and it kind of was my i could distract from not being good at academic job academic subjects because my teachers would be like look at her art look at her creative side of it but then that meant that I was I mean you can tell by my personality I was really good at talking and and distracting and I was really good at going up to other people and them helping me and I think that's a trait with dyslexic people because we've got to work on our our talking skills if we're not that good at the writing <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. And of course, I know you've listened to some uh, of, the, of our podcast episodes yeah. and um, it's amazing to me the reoccurring theme of that uh, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I would say more people than not that, that I've talked with um, have had some learning disability or challenge is probably a better way of putting it. Um, that they struggled with, but at the same time gave them skills that they might not have discovered without that. Uh, so uh, both kind of a, a two-edged sword, if you will. I do battle with it quite a bit because my daughter's, we've gone and got her tested and we need to get her tested again for school because we did it privately and school wanted it with the NHS. And it's taken a long time. But part of the battle is I think, for me, I didn't find out to my final year at university. And I think, actually, ignorance was bliss. I'd worked on other skills, like you've said. It had, I've since, by the way, the reason why I mentioned this, I've since just two years ago found out I'm ADHD. Mm -hmm. And that's really common with creative people. And actually, 
um, if you look at my report with dyslexia, you see the UK is so far behind on ADHD to you guys. It's still, in fact, quite a lot of schools and doctors don't even believe in it still over here. Really? They, they still believe it's too much Coca-Cola and video games. That's sad to hear, uh, you know, for sure, because, you know, it, it has been a battle to really gain mainstream awareness of the reality of challenges like that. I remember when I was growing up, I didn't believe in those things either. I didn't believe, and this is going to sound crazy, I didn't believe alcoholism was a disease. Uh, and then I had a business partner who was an alcoholic, and I finally had to come to the realization this is real. And, and that's crazy because you can see just how much of a sickness uh, or, you know, whatever the politically correct word is, that alcoholism or ADHD or dyslexia, these are these, just because we we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist uh, which I mean I think that's kind of the whole premise behind religion and we buy that mm. well I say to a lot of people that you've got to remember years ago we only had to work in a factory or a farm there's more and more complex things in our lives now that an ADHD person or dyslexic person years ago would have got away with that. I, you know, roads were so quiet. The problems now with online banking and, and all of the different things, I'd have got away with it 20, 30 years ago. I'd have just had to work in it. You know, the, the jobs were smaller and simpler. Life was simpler. And now things there's a lot this is I think why it comes up a lot more because the systems have all changed and and also we are science is getting better we can actually see can't you the inside of the brain and they're saying neural I can never say it neurological neurological yeah and and also what I say as well I, I do believe this is why I'm working in schools and colleges because I can see these children and how different they are when they when they do get help and support. And I say to them all the time, Google and um, all of these big companies, Facebook, they actually seek our way of thinking, those thinkers now in the workplace because we're risk takers. You know, I went backpacking at 25. They say that we're explorers, you know, business wise. I'm, I'm probably naive. I don't think of the, you know, the, yeah. the, the things that scare other people. So I just think it's our superpower. That's a great way of looking at it for sure. So did you have any big challenges? Like it seems like you had a pretty good childhood experience. Do you have any challenges from your high school days that you had to kind of overcome to move on? Yeah, I um, I got bullied quite badly when in the top of my high school, um, so age 11, and then it went into senior school. And I can see now why. I just was different and creative and there wasn't many. I'm from a working class. I don't know if working class is different for you. Quite, I wasn't poor, you know, in, in that case. I don't know if it's called working class in your, you know, just quite an average family. Um, like you said, we've gone through hardships and things, but I don't want to paint that it's, it was awful. Mm -hmm. But um, at that time, I definitely didn't fit in in this, in this small small-minded town school you know I was creative and I think if I'd have gone to a Montessori school I'd have fitted really in or if you, mm -hmm. you see what I mean if I was with so there was no one in my circle that had creative careers sure I was the first person to go to university in my family so although my mom and dad were really supportive they didn't know how to navigate me they didn't know they said be who you want 
but they didn't know how to talk about it. And so I'm really thankful in everything they did. But And I, also, I really battle with this because I've got to make sure I'm like them because I've seen a lot of my friends whose parents were, do have university degrees, college degrees, and they've really stumped my friends and my friends have not want, not been able to do anything because their parents were really overpowering. And so I have to watch myself and think, I, I don't want to be like that because my mum let me mm-hmm. just lead the way really. And yeah, I know we're always in constant battle as parenting, aren't we? But I do, you know, if I get to the end of my life and my career's taken off and I've done well in my podcast and all the different things, but then my pet, my children aren't happy or strong in what they want to do, then I feel I've failed. I can definitely feel that. Uh, I mean, that, that really resonates with me. I have the same, the same feeling, you know, if I, if I build the big city, but my kids are, you know, out on the streets as a metaphor, then what good have I really done? My biggest charge in life is to raise my children to be good human beings. That's my biggest charge. So I can completely understand uh, that. I really appreciate you saying uh, about university and your parents because one of the main reasons I didn't go to university, uh, to a major university, it had nothing to do with grades. It had to do with that I was, I grew up in a very small town and I was scared of big organized things that I didn't know how to navigate. And the school that I went to, didn't know how to prepare me for that and didn't have a program for that. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying that I can completely understand uh, understand that because I've experienced that type of thing myself as well. So you went to university. Uh, did you know what you wanted to do? No. Well, I always wanted to be a fashion designer and actually, thank God I didn't. I, You know, you just realize my personality is not... <laughs> strong enough to be in that kind of environment Um, but you don't know these things you know remember when you're at school art is very different that you don't realize the tiny different the differences between being a graphic designer to being an abstract artist to be uh, to being a photographer because at school they might not do photography they might not teach pottery and there's massive differences and when you're at school it's just art as one big thing and you're Mm -hmm. drawing a bowl of fruit you know you might you won't be doing typography (laughs) that's true so you fashion design was where you originally wanted to go yeah so my degree was in surface pattern because I couldn't make my mind up and I just I just thought well that way I can be and I could go into wallpaper I could go in interiors I could go into stationery or I could go into fashion because so surface pattern is the patterns that's on the fabric or the wallpaper or stationery Mm -hmm. and in the end just because for me as well it was really because I have come from a family I didn't want to be that artist that didn't get a job at the end of it it had to because I was paying for myself to go for university it had to have a degree where there was a work placement and that's where you have a year so it's a four-year degree but then in the middle was a year in industry and I had to and that was really important to me so even though there was a great textile degree in Manchester they didn't offer that and I thought no I'm not doing it then so and that what I got so I got a year's placement in Hallmark which was in Bradford what we've just spoke the area I've just mentioned that my family are from weirdly yeah that absolutely just 
So like you took a, a year and kind of like an internship. Yeah, that's it. Sort of thing. And, and, that, and that was sandwiched between your other years. And so you got some, yeah. some actual experience in the industry to kind of see how things happen. Uh, and then, you, but you still had to go back to school for a couple of years after yeah, that. Yeah, one more year. But then as soon as I finished, I emailed the place where at Hallmark and they offered me a job when I finished. So I always say to students, which I know will get onto my podcast, but that was why I wanted to do it. I think people go to university and then they leave and they don't know what to do. That's the bit mm. where they go, now what? And nobody tells them the next bit. And then they go for one job interview, don't get it and go, I'll never get a job in art. And then <laughs> they go and do something completely different. Yeah. As somebody who was a, a headhunter and recruiter years ago myself we always counseled people to go on as many interviews as they could because you get better at what you're doing and the more you do it the better you get and so yeah you may not want to work at this particular place but if you interview there you get the experience of interviewing at a place where you can turn it down by saying you know what i'm not the right fit for you i think sometimes in interviews especially a lot of times we don't understand that not only are we there trying to get a job but we're trying to find the right fit for ourselves as well uh, i remember a number of interviews that i've been in where people have said why do you want to work for x company and my answer is usually I don't know that I want to work for X company yet, but that's why I'm here is to find out whether or not I do. Yeah. You know, because I, you can always go into an interview and you can always tell whoever you're interviewing about the research that you did about the company. But all that does is tell them you did research about the company and it doesn't tell them the reality behind it. So, yeah, I think that's a great point that you bring up. What next? So you were able to move. Um, how was university for you? A good experience, all things considered? My best years for me. So I've spoke to you about not fitting in at school, not fitting in in this small town, but actually university were my people. People. They were creative. I was going to music shows. I was with all of a sudden I was experiencing. So my mom is the small minded, scared. I love her to pieces, but she she was the one who'd be like, don't go all the way to university. What are you doing? You're not gonna know anyone. And I was like, I have to go, mom. And I'm so thankful. Like if I'd have stayed at home, I wouldn't have experienced all of that. And now, obviously, the tuition fees are so expensive. More and more students are staying at home. And, I, you know, absolutely, do whatever is good for you. But I knew I needed to get out. And this sounds so pathetic, but I was watching Beauty and the Beast today with my daughter. And I, when I see Belle go to the library and she just needs to get out of this small town, that's how I felt all of the time. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I think that is a normal growing thing, really. I mean, growing up, mm. uh, I came out of a small town and for years and years and years, I wanted to get out. Like, that was the thing, you know, like small towns, I feel like you need to experience more and see more. But when I came back from traveling, I actually envied my, I wish I hadn't have gone because I wanted even more then and I didn't realize till just this year when I interviewed Kim um, Floden which is she's amazing from our mm -hmm. group and she said I'm a seeker and I thought wow I'm that I've never seen myself I'm a seeker some of my friends are happy to go to the same holiday destination every year and they're really content and I envy that because I'm constantly seeking and I have to come at peace with that and 
I think my children have helped because it, it can be a thing. I remember going backpacking and I saw someone who was 60 backpacking. Nothing wrong with that, but she'd never stopped traveling to the point that I don't know if she even knew what she was traveling for, you know? Mm -hmm. So you do have to recognize that. <laughs> I get that. To some degree, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side because... Absolutely. And I have this conversation with my friends frequently because I've been more of a bohemian. You know, I, I didn't stay at one place and rack up a 401k and, and get set for retirement. And a lot of them did, you know, and I got friends that, you know, are my age retiring because yeah. they did it that way. Uh, you know, and I look at that and I'm like, man, I would like to be there right now. But sometimes I talk with them and they're like, but Elliot, look at all the different things that you've done and, and you've gone. And so I, I think there's a little bit of that too, uh, from, you know, sometimes. Absolutely. And, and let's face it, I'd rather sit at a table with somebody who's had interesting stories than not that I'm downplaying other people each to their own. But yeah, we should never question what inspired us to keep doing these things. Because yeah, that for me, that's what life's about. We all have our own journeys. And that's the thing is that there's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes we think that there is a way, yeah. like there is this path that you have to be on. And, and at the end of it is, is the mythical success or whatever the case may be. I just don't think that many times that we realize soon enough in life that the journey is the destination more than anything else. You went from university it working direct, directly for uh, Hallmark? Hallmark, yes. How lucky am I? <laughs> How'd that make you feel? Really lucky. Uh, to the point that I, so obviously I wanted to get into fashion and then I got this job. And because, like I say, from my background, I know so many people who didn't get a job in the art. And I was constantly told, you'll never get a job in the creative industry. And now I tell students, you need to ask that person how they know that. Call them out on that because the people that say it don't probably don't know anybody that's ever been for any creative job. People just get used to the, talking the same language. And I was surrounded by that all of the time. So um, I took this job and for about a couple of years, I kept saying, oh, I'm only doing this for a bit because then I'm going to get into fashion. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody in, in Hormot said the same. And I think what it is, is you don't go to university a lot of people went to university to be a graphic designer or for me fashion or somebody else's film studies and we all ended up in Hallmark which was wonderful but we always I don't know whether it's being 20 and you're like no but I'm gonna make it in London I'm going to New York <laughs> and I got offered a job in New York but I was in so much student debt a, a work placement job for a year and I was in so much like I couldn't afford to do it and I thought I'll go one day but not now and then I, con I was in constant turmoil basically I need to go to London I need to go to New York because you just think that it's there or nothing and then after a few years it was like actually I love it at Hallmark there's so many different there was so many different styles and um, it we didn't just do cards we worked for I don't know if you've heard of Marks and Spencers it's like Target but it's yeah a retail store more expensive than Target, yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So I was really, all my work got put in there and they did photo albums and stationery and gift products. And yeah, I felt really lucky. A lot of my creative friends didn't get a job and they just used to say how lucky I was. So yeah. You got to make designs for Hallmark and those designs got sold to the company. Could you actually walk in and see the stuff that you had designed in the store? Yeah. What did that feel like? Yeah. So my... 
Oh, amazing. So my grandma, who I spoke to you about, who just fed me all the creative input as a child, luckily she died that year when I got this job. But before she died, she got went into the store and picked up my products. And then she, she showed the checkout people and all the staff and every person she could be and then she died after that and I was just so that was it for me I was like oh my grandma see me actually have this this card that I've made and so yeah that and and actually still now I've I've never been cool is that you know I've never been too cool and I it's whenever something's in the shop I have to buy it and I have to sing and dance about it and I'm yeah (laughs) that's awesome Uh, I mean that's I'm not sure how much of a greater thrill it is for an artist than to see uh, their work being consumed in some for some way uh, being being enjoyed by someone else and that is I'm going to bring this back to connect connectivity and connection that is how art connects us to other people because your expression i don't know what what your definition of art is actually what is your definition of art let me just ask i, I know it's I, I know that's not a a question that i normally throw out but what is, do you have a definition for yourself i believe it's a superpower i believe that it's magic to have something as a tiny seed in your head and to make it a finished product in whatever way that is it just it i just find it magic and whether that's writing whether that's a song to get from here to there and the journey that it takes it just it it always I get I'm still that excited child whenever I see anything or any of my friends that make it you know musicians are just yeah to me it's just complete magic yeah I struggled for a long time on how do I define art? Uh, because not all art resonates with everybody. So I struggled for a long time. For me, eventually, I my own personal definition of art was an expression of myself that I share with the world. I always think of it as an expression of whoever the artist was. And so it always makes it more special because you know that someone is sharing something from within them. Uh, and granted, there are technical skills that are needed for every profession and the better that you hone your craft the better the ex- the artistic expression can come out to hear the expression of a singer or to be able to walk into a store and see that thing that you that you put together so painstakingly even for a customer you know i think we've talked about this before it's not necessarily there's nothing wrong with creating art for a purpose as well as creating art that excites you and sometimes it can do both i really battled with this so to be creative you've got you vulnerable as well i think it's very brave putting that thing out there you've literally got your hands over your eyes because you just even because I've all I really struggle with the making money bit because for me just people liking it is enough I'm like wow <laughs> they've asked me to do this thing and I really struggle with the the being rich bit you know that's just enough for me that somebody likes my my uh, picture they've asked for but um yeah to me it's it's really fun you have to be really vulnerable and you have to be really brave and I think that's something that everybody battles with. And, and just perseverance. You know, the path, I always say at the beginning of my pos- podcast, the path from success or failure is the same path. You've just got to stay on it. And it's the staying on it, the middle murky bit that people 
don't want to do. Yeah, I, I believe that everybody's got a creative calling and got something. It's just they don't sit and listen long enough or it's that little thing that they think everybody can do and that they don't go back into. Like I said, my dad doing his woodwork, it was beautiful. He used to make lamp stands and, yeah, for me... Um, that's why this podcast started. So there's a big difference between being, I really battled with the fact that I'm a designer. So I couldn't just turn up and do me. I have to answer the client. So I've got, I've had some work in Target and um, what else? I've got some work in Walmart and Costco. Um, and that's just, can you do some Christmas wrapping paper? Can you do Hanukkah? Can you do Easter? Can you do... Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, and you just end up answering the brief. So that's not necessarily me as an artist, mm -hmm. but then that's... I, I'm making a living from it, so surely that's better than just turning up and painting a canvas for the sake of I'm in that, you know, the mood for it. However, you really battle with it, but it's not fully me. So um, I've only just, as I've got older, realised that, of course, I'm an artist. It, you know, it, there's so many tiny little differences in the art game. And I think it's because we grew, grew up with a lot of negativity. And also in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of snobbery around art. Um, and it's a lot more inclusive now. And I think that's thanks to social media and the internet, actually. People are doing it messy a bit. We're putting our personalities next to it. And whereas the 80s and 90s, it was very much, are you in an exhibition? Are you, I don't know, it just, it just got a little bit too stuffy. And yeah, it didn't work. And now I'm noticing barriers being removed. Could that be, could it, could it have felt stuffy and so forth, you know, during that time frame, uh, because our definition of art uh, was more narrow than it is now? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I, and I don't know whether it's... The thing is, you never know if it's your own journey or it's us as humans. Because remember, we forget how influenced we are on a daily basis we think it's just us that's read the books and but actually most people are reading similar things and we're in the, we talk about the echo chamber a lot don't we with the internet but you know most people read the secret 12 years ago and got into the law of attraction and most people are, not most but a lot of creatives you will find that you of course we're, we're all discovering certain things like we said adhd dyslexia that they're creative and yeah, I think it's a great time, actually, for artists in the whole of history. We can make a business with our smartphones. We don't even need brick and mortar shop. When I left university, I thought I always wanted a shop with my own, with my own fashion pieces, custom from um, thrift stores, and I had really quirky style. I couldn't work out how I was going to get this shop. Well, now you don't even need that. You've got your bedroom, and you can have an Etsy store, and you can do eco. You know, it's so easy, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast for creatives and young creatives because I think, gosh, if they've got blocks. Do they realise how much easier it is to when we were? But actually, they, have, they don't have it easier. They have blocks in other ways. But, you know, we're just, I just want to be the light that I didn't have at their age, basically, and to show them all the successful stories because everybody's told that it's difficult 
in art and it's just like I say a narrative that no not many people have shined a light on and said actually what makes you think it's difficult well let's talk about your podcast a little bit because uh I I love it it's you know I've, I've been on it yeah. let's talk a little bit about it so your podcast is called creative ways right mm -hmm. The idea, as you were just describing, uh, you know, is to to shine a light on artists and their their journey to some degree so that people can understand that it is not only doable, but it's done every day all the time. There are ways. What made you decide to pull the trigger and do a podcast? And, and the reason I'm asking this question specifically is because uh, you and I have known each other for a couple of years, and um, I count you as one of my best friends from Dreamtopia. Uh, and I've watched you over those last couple of years, and you are one of the hardest working individuals I have seen. Like, you are always doing stuff. I mean, you're just so busy and doing things. And so I'm just a little curious as to why you decided to put something else on your plate to you know put out there thank you so much i um i ask myself the same question a lot and <laughs> <laughs> um, i think for me i left to go freelance two years ago and it was a journey so i used to commute like you and um, i used to get up at 5 30 and leave the house at half six to commute but i was not coming back till seven at night and when I had my second child, I went back for nine months and I just thought, I can't do this. And it's really dangerous. The commute was on the motorway. And um, I decided to be freelance. And there is a real difference, obviously, from working for a big company. And because I'm positive, I always look for the positive stories. And then I didn't realise, actually, all my friends that are making a killing on this, they haven't got children. Ah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or they've just got one. This isn't, I'm not... So I knew I had to work hard and I have always had a, a work, a good work ethos, but I do battle with it quite a lot being a mum of two and I don't want to be that always working mum. So, and I have suffered from, you, you asked one time, what was my biggest fail? Yeah. What failure are you most proud of? That's it. And for me, it's when I got this job, I came back from, so I left Hallmark twice and each time they, they took me back. So I felt really privileged, went backpacking. Like by that time, they're like, I'm sure we've had three leaving parties for you. And then they took <laughs> me back again. Then they offered me a job as a design manager and I completely freaked out and I had a breakdown. Um, I had panic attacks. I had depression. Um, I didn't know that I was actually going through imposter syndrome. I've only learned this in the last five years. I don't know whether it's because I'm a woman or I'm from a working class background. I felt like I'm only 27. I haven't got life experience to be a manager and I'm managing artists that have much more experience than me. And I just felt like a complete fraud. And I just kept freaking out. And my friends kept saying, Emma, they wouldn't have given you this role if they didn't think you could do it. And it was the best failure I could have had because I am, I didn't realize for me, I have to, I can't fake things. I can't, I'm all in to the point that I'm, as you know, I'm such an excited bunny. I just always on social media telling everybody I can't lie or, or fake it. And so I couldn't turn up and feel like that. I just, I have to give, if I'm not doing the role 110%, I have to leave. Now I left with no job. And um, I remember my mum and dad were really worried about me, but they're like, what, you're just leaving with no job? 
Um, but I was so ill, I kept having panic attacks and I went to see um, a counsellor and um, I don't know what you call it. We call them therapists, but, therapists, but, yeah. but counsellors too, yeah. Yeah, all of that. Um, and 27 actually is quite an age, isn't it? It's quite a famous age. I think it's that you're going into a different, you, you've gone through this path and all of a sudden all your choices are your own. Mm. Um, so there was lots of things going on there, but it was my greatest failure. Like it was brilliant because that's where I started reading about or did all the inner work and realised about the working class thing, realised where my work ethic was. And I got a job just two weeks after, actually, and I, went, I just hadn't finished my journey as an artist and I hadn't, found my, I hadn't found my style and I wasn't ready to be a manager and that was okay. And I made those next two years in another company really work for me. And then I went back to being a manager in another job, but I then had these massive hang-ups. I'm going to do this again. I'm gonna, the same's going to happen. And of course, now I tell people all the time, because I do a bit of coaching, just because something happened to you back then, you didn't have children then. You were a different person back then. And you're who you are now because of those fails. I'm a lot thicker skinned. I know when I leave my work, that's my work and I can leave it till the next day. I'm not going to get ill about it over it i'm glad it happened before i became a mum because now i can spot when the black dogs come in you know i need to eat a bit healthier or go for a run or i also know it's nobody else's job to do that's my job mm. i need to get earlier nights mm. you know if, if i i've just done a live about boundaries a lot of women are finding that their boundaries have gone since lockdown and now we're going back into work a lot in the UK or back into the children are going back to school and these mums are saying, I, I, I don't know who I am again and I've lost all my boundaries. Well, that's not your husband's job. That's your job. You need to work out. So for me, my non-negotiable time is a Sunday evening. That's my artist day. Nobody can come in the way of that. And that's my job. So yeah, that's my greatest failure because I learned so much about me and before I became a mum. So I can talk openly about it to people. And it, it was a big secret actually for a few years. I didn't want to talk about it because I, I thought it was all me and I'd failed. And obviously now I know I haven't. And that's why I wanted to do the podcast because I just know creative battle all the time and yeah, I wanted to shine a light on it all, really. Well, it's that's that's amazing. I mean, that, it's that's that's a great story uh, <laughs> uh, for a, for a failure. So let me ask you this, and we'll get back to the podcast in just a second. But you're glad that you had that opportunity to fail. Can you imagine what it would be like if that opportunity hadn't come your way? As in, I would have just carried on and not noticed the signs. Yeah, let's, let's say that the management uh, opportunity didn't fall your way uh, and you just kind of continued on. Do you feel better for that fail than for not having that fail? Absolutely, yeah, because I see it a lot. We've talked about the golden handcuffs, haven't we? For me, I've realized that, yeah, I have to mm. feel it to, to, like I've just said, I have to be all in. And I've seen people that literally haven't recognized the golden handcuffs and they're just dead inside and 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 it's really sad and yeah for me I have to try everything and like I've said earlier I beat myself up for being this seeker but actually would I have it any other way no I wouldn't that's just I have to go in and try and get bitten and I do get bitten but yeah <laughs> 
But that's how you learn. You know, that's how we get better. I really dislike the characterization of winners versus losers, uh, not because I have anything against <laughs> sports or competition or anything like that, but I think the challenge is, is that a lot of times we take labels way too far. And so if you lose or fail in one place, then we automatically label ourselves or others as losers and failures just because this particular time didn't look the same on the other side of it as you thought it was going to look. How should we label ourselves like that? makes no sense to me at all. We should not take those labels. We should just understand. It's kind of like taking tests in school. I always hated tests because they didn't get used correctly. It always frustrated me because I always thought that a test uh, in any environment, uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's education or professional or whatever, we all have tests that we take. The tests should be showing us where our deficiencies are so that we can get better. It shouldn't be a test that we're taking that we're going to say, okay, well, this is you. You are the equivalent of this percentage. And that's done way too many times. I think that that's a, a very valid point. So how has the pandemic uh, changed your business? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's, so I, yeah, it's been tough. So my husband's a gardener. We're both self-employed. And that's where my working hard has come from. Because obviously I've had to make it work. So for three days a week, my little boy goes to a childminder, which, you know, it didn't sit well with me. But at least I wasn't on the road working 50 miles away like I would have been doing. And it meant I can always do the school run. And in my head, I was going to do it for a couple of years. And then by the time my son starts school next year, I will be able to be there to do all the school drop-offs, you know, I'll make it work, which of course I am around. It's only two streets away and she's amazing. And there's other children. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. But now it's meant that I've had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to do some work because I'm now homeschooling. I don't know how your wife does it, by the way. That's all I keep saying. Like, how? <laughs> she does a great job. Well, you know, she, uh, she doesn't hold a, a job in the same respect that you do. We're lucky in that she does uh, she does some online sales stuff part time to kind of help out. Uh, but for the most part, I'm the main breadwinner in the house, and we kind of designed our life around that so that it would be it would made it easier for us to define roles for us. You know, not that uh, she couldn't go out and do something. Right. Um, and it's, and I've never said you need to stay home. You know, we just, no, of course not. Elliot, I think anyone that knows you knows that you would never ever dream of being that person. <laughs> There's no fear of that. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, she, I mean, she does a great job and it is so much work. Like I, I just, uh, mothers are amazing, amazing creatures. Like I am just, I'm in awe of all of you uh, pretty much all the time, uh, because y'all do stuff that you just do amazing work. I, there's just no, no other way of, of saying it. Like my job is easier than her job is. There is no two ways about it. And hers realistically is more important than mine in, in a lot of ways, you know, because she's really helping to raise the little ones. So, um, so you're going to try homeschooling now? No, I hated it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like them not being in the house. <laughs> That's so bad, isn't it? No, I, I don't like, think he is. I, I sound awful, but it's not good for me. Maybe it's my ADHD. I really battled with it. And also because I, I'm dyslexic. I can't teach her the things that I'm not good at. You know, with the maths, I really battled with all of that. So, yeah, hats off to homeschooling. And I started an art club with the neighbours' children over lockdown because all these schools were being sent maths, English and science. There's a big thing in the UK that art's being pushed out. So I'm on this mission because especially for a pandemic, what do everybody do? They go to, they reach for art, create so many people of, you know, that's what heals us. So I, because obviously in the UK, you talk about what's it like in the UK, everything's a lot smaller, <laughs> our gardens and our houses. So our neighbours <laughs> are literally, you know, we're not that far. So I, every yeah. day in lockdown, I put a blanket out in the front garden and all these children ranging from age three to age 14 sit on this blanket and the, there was no brief. They all wanted to just come and do art. So there'd be some crayons and felt tips and pens and paper out for them or the older kids would bring their own sketchbooks and just carry on with their own projects. And this was every day from three till four or three till five. And, and we made bracelets. They loved it. And I loved it. Um, but yeah, getting back to your question, I just realised that for me, I could do the art and the creative things, but I really battled with the things that I battled with as a kid. And I don't know if it was a trigger as well. And then I kept thinking, I'm not teaching my children. So we're going to get her a tutor for some extra help this year because she's gone into the juniors. Um, but I carry too much. I'm an empath, by the way, and I carry too much. So I have to work on my own barriers. And so, yeah, I really battle with this when I work in schools, the pandemic. You asked me about the business. I have to work on my barriers because when I do coaching, I overcoach and I, and I just take on other people's stuff too much and then wonder why I'm not showing up much for myself. So, and I have to sure. make sure I show up for my family. So we, we came up with a few, few rules. I don't want my children to just see me on a laptop or on the phone. So there's certain parts of the day they don't see any of that, which means that's why I stay up late at night or get up early in the morning. So you're working in schools. You're, you're, doing, you're doing work to try to, I assume, to try to help the, because you were saying that, that the arts are kind of getting pushed out. And I, and I think that that's true globally. I don't think that's just a, something in the UK. You know, we're seeing a lot of that here in the US too. Music programs are being done away with. Art programs are being done away with in the in the primary schools you know are you know in, in the secondary schools it's a little different because everybody's kind of either paying for or on scholarship for something and so they can offer more programs but you know where the money is all mandated by how many kids are going to your school it's getting pushed out a lot and the thing that really really frustrates me about this is that you don't need the arts and music and creative endeavors in school because of the arts and the creative endeavors. You need them because it helps you learn how to think creatively. And that's what makes you a better businessman. That's what makes you a better coder. That's what makes you a better entrepreneur. It's what makes you better is the having the ability to creatively look at any situation and 
and try to figure out what is the best solution to a challenge, a situation, a problem, uh, any of those things. And that's why the arts are so very important. That's why the work that you do is so very important. And that's why I'm curious about going into the schools some uh, in trying to help add to the creative arts because you understand the necessity absolutely but to the point that it just upsets me as well so i have to i think that's why the so i got upset when my podcast released at the beginning of the pandemic and i thought oh no what an awful time but now i've realized actually it was a great time because it fed that negative disappointment that i was feeling i was like no this is where i can you know my why as it as it's as it were, across, and this is where I can inspire people because when I'm in, so I've been back in a school a week and it's in a private area. Um, and so there's children there that um, obviously haven't got um, parents that have done anything creative. And I'll say, oh, listen to this podcast. And and I just feel like I'm giving a resource, actually. So mm-hmm. sorry to keep going on about the podcast, but it, it does really line up with, you know how we said earlier about me being a designer, so I get given a brief. I'm doing Christmas this week. Well, it sells and I have to do it even when I don't want to do Christmas cards. How many, I mean, 20 years, Elliot, of, of drawing a Christmas tree. How many different ways can I do a Christmas tree? <laughs> or, Great point. Or, Great point. Or a Santa Claus, you know? Right. In fact, my daughter said last year, are you an elf, mummy? <laughs> Because you sit up every night and you make Christmas cards. (laughs) That that is something else. I think it's great that you talk about the podcast because the the Creative Ways podcast is, it's a fun podcast to listen to. And I mean, you've had some decent guests on there too, you know, not just, not just little old punk Elliot from Alabama, but I mean, you've had, uh, I mean, Susie Moore was on you. I mean, that's, she's pretty legendary. I mean, books and I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, so I think you are just fine to pimp out the Creative Ways podcast because it's a great podcast for what it does, you know? (laughs) And so, yeah, you feel you feel free to talk about that podcast to your heart's content because it's great. Um, and everybody loved you on. By the way, I got so many DMs, and and they quite a lot of people got the books that we talked about, and awesome. yeah, they they loved, yeah. And when you said about. Um, it's a journey, not a destination. That was their biggest takeaway. Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad it was able to reach and help some people. That's that's great. I did want to ask you, when you look at yourself and you think about yourself as a person, what do you see? How do you view yourself? Oh, it's really tricky this is because it's, it's a really important question because how you want to be perceived and how you think you actually are perceived I know I annoy a lot of people. I really rub people up the wrong way because I'm very, and this is where my ADHD comes in, I'm very bright and in your face and I'm there. But I've, I've kind of fully gone into this now. That's why my hair's so bright. It's lovely. Um, it's kind of like shine, shine your weirdo light and then all the other weirdos will come and find you. Um, but I hope I come across as endearing and friendly and that people feel that they can come to me um, approachable. That's how I hope that I come across. Um, But I do have to, like I've said, I am a massive empath. 
So I have to work on my boundaries a lot because I have been taken advantage of a lot. But yeah, I would, sure. it would hurt me so much if, if ever somebody said they thought I was selfish or I wasn't any of those things. That's what I strive for every day. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Well, and sometimes that's hard to deal with. I'm very similar in that respect. And, and sometimes it doesn't even have to be uh, something that uh, <laughs> it, it can be a slight that doesn't even exist. And I, I'll take it, you know, and be like, oh, my goodness. what? So, you know, that is a lot of personal work that we have to do to try to realize that it's not always all about us. Um, you know, at least it is for me. That's that that's the takeaway for me. Is yeah, that, absolutely. You know, I have a tendency to, and I, maybe we all do, who knows, you know, the, I think the we world all kind of revolves around us because for us, we're the only ones that are peering out of these two eyes and, you know, and, and I think that's why we crave connection to some degree. What work have you put into the world that you're most proud of? Is it the podcast? Yeah, it is actually. I mean, I'm always proud when I see my children, when I show my children the cards that are in the shops, always. And I loved hearing my daughter tell her friends in the playground once, my mum is an artist and she was so proud. And so that was the proudest moment of my career, hearing my daughter say that to her friends. But yeah, and the podcast, definitely. All right. So planning versus intuition in regards to your creative endeavors. What is your take on that? Oh. I'm totally, it's intuition each time. I follow my gut to the point that I just sound crazy to everyone. <laughs> I wish I was a planner um, and I try to be, it just doesn't work with me. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, I always hit a deadline. I, this is, you know, when you've said you work so hard, um, again, it's because I, I've realized I'm ADHD. Things don't come easy to me. I spend a lot of time faffing. <laughs> And not and not actually getting, but I've realised that's confidence, and it's taken me to the age of forty that it's actually. I always go back to the initial idea. I just wasn't confident enough to do it. Mm -hmm. So, like you've said, it's constant inner work, inner work. But yeah, it, it's always intuition for me. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question about um, about your mentor group uh, because uh, I, I've heard you talk about it a number of times, and that was one thing that that was one thing that I had wished that I had come away with was a mentor group. I was never able to get into a group like that, and so um, I, I'm curious because it's like like you and Kim and and Nicole and like you guys have a kind of a a group there. What what has that group meant to you guys? so much we have an app called voxer and we literally because of the time we think it works because of the time zones because there's a new yorker there's a uh, kim's from la there's another girl claire from the uk and there's me i was last to come in and they had to ask for me do you remember betsy used to be in it and another girl called lisa but they've left now but we've carried on and we think it's like a walkie-talkie app we literally just ideate when something comes up and then one and then they always get back to you and because it's a quick thing you're not then typing it doesn't work when you do the zoom meetups because then you've got to work out then you really invested in a whole day. But this is what we think this is the secret. Because, and it, was, it wasn't intentional. Kim just said, oh, actually, do you want to use this app? She uses it with her sisters because she has a podcast with her sisters. And they have different time zones. And we think that's what's kept it alive, that we can literally just, when a thought comes in, we can put it there. You know, oh, I'm thinking of putting an offer out. What do you think about this? Or have you used MailChimp? I haven't used that yet. And, and everybody's 
used it or done something and we think that's that's what's done it because the actual course we probably haven't gone back and done much of which we should do but yeah it's definitely we think that's the secret sauce so i would love to do what it i think it's we feel so alone in business and this is why companies work because they have to have a meeting and you keep each other accountable and it, you know it's it, this is why fitness um, groups work and weight watchers because we will let ourselves down but if we told another human we were doing it we're more likely to show up for that other human 100 percent agree 100 percent agree if you could recommend any one book that people read or listen to which one would you recommend oh you're going to be so disappointed with my answer because this is all we talk about but it did change my life seven seven habits of highly affected people great book um, yeah I absolutely loved it. It really did change my life. And um, like, like what, what particular, is there anything like I'm a big fan too. So I, I've got my own particulars, but, but can, can you put into words what it is that it, why it really changed your life? I've never remember in England, we didn't do, um, oh, what is it called where you have your, of your life, the rules that you put up on the wall. Um, what is it called? Companies have it. So what that, oh, oh, like vision statements. Yes, a mission statement. That was it. Mission statements. I never okay. thought of doing a mission statement for my family and for me. Mm. So that was massive. And how I'm going to live my life and that it's an all-round, it's not one mm. thing. You know, you have to have the health, but you have to have the... It's not about being rich. And it was looking at what success is and... It, that I'd never even thought about this. Um, so yeah, it was really important. It really calmed me down, actually. I didn't realize how anxious I was. I think because I, I do have to work that bit harder, I was always working and always anxious. And it actually, it was like, no, this is okay. You are, it's all mm -hmm. of these things. And also realizing that actually people, everything you do is important and it, and everything you say is important and you're touching somebody else's life and you need to take responsibility in that. Yeah. Well, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. And obviously I'll put links to that in the show notes and all of your things as well, your podcast and so forth. One last question, uh, I guess, and that would be what one thing do you hope to be most proud of at the end of your journey in this life? I don't know if this is so disappointing for me well it shouldn't be my children like i said earlier if i get to the end of this and my children say that they that they don't know who they are or what they what they, they, they they're just mixed up and i haven't empowered them then i've failed well i thought that might be your answer but i wanted to ask it nonetheless <laughs> honestly i've really enjoyed this elliot and i hope i've not waffled on too much to everybody <laughs> You've been great. You've been absolutely great. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and and you had so many uh, you know great things to say. So so thank you for being on the podcast. I'm so glad that we were able to make it work, and that you were able to come on. And I've I've been excited about uh, having you on for a long time now. So I'm over the moon. Thank you so much for being here. Me too. Thanks so much. It's always such a joy to chat with Emma. What did you take from the conversation? What did you hear in her story that you will remember? Something I heard was some of her struggles are similar to mine, and probably yours. She's struggled with imposter syndrome. She's had to do internal work to make sense of the world around her and how to interact with it. 
She had to find a way to work and live while still being true to herself. Have you ever quit a job without having another one lined up? I have. It's a scary place to be, but it's much less scary than not being true to yourself. I just love how she looks for the positive in everything. And it's something that I struggle with on a personal level. One of my favorite takeaways from this conversation is how she's come to not believe the cliches about people not being able to make a living from their art. Of course you can. Look all around us. Movies, songs, podcasts, books, all these things that help us survive and thrive in life. All art. All supporting people. All making money in one form or fashion. You know, maybe the path and journey looked different than you thought it would, but that doesn't make it any less valid. It is your journey after all. I think she might be right. The path to success or failure is the same path. You just have to stay on it. Thank you, Emma. I really appreciate you being here today. Okay, dragons, go check her out. You can find her on all the social media. I'll have links in the show notes, but you can find her at www.emmaisaacs.co.uk. That's E-M-M-A-I-S-A-A-C-S. And you can find most of her social media from that location. So check her out there for sure. Also, as I always tell you, you might be plain and you might be ordinary, but you're a dragon. And you can do so many amazing things in this world, and we can't wait to hear your voice. Mm-hmm.